the HR Grapevine podcast, the podcast series that takes an in-depth look at one of the most fascinating, important or divisive HR stories from over the last week. I'm Sophie Parrott, online editor at HR Grapevine, and each week I'll be joined by a different HR journalist as we explore the contemporary practice and most pressing debates in HR. So, join me as we properly pick apart what it means to work in the people function. Today, I'm joined by Dan Cave, Head of Content at Executive Grapevine Digital Media. So welcome back, Dan, although it's virtually. How are you doing? Yeah, it's it's very strange to not be in the same room as you, Soph, as we record this. Um, yeah. But we've been adaptable and reactive, as many other businesses have been um, during the past few weeks, I guess. So actually, it feels like we've not been out of touch at all. Yes, absolutely. And so as Dan says, at EG, we, like other organisations, have gone fully remote at the moment. So both myself and Dan are dialing in from our separate homes for this podcast. So um, it is possible that the sound quality won't be as optimum as that normally could be. Um, from my understanding, Dan is um, currently sat at home with a computer headset on, whereas I'm using my phone. Um, so there, there may be a slight difference in volumes. Um, but that said, we are still dedicated to bringing you the latest topical debates within a short HR podcast, um, whether it's recorded from the confines of our flats or our designated recording room in the office. Um, so in this week's podcast, um, given that so many employees are working from home and the two of us can vouch ourselves the different challenges that we have faced since we have been working remotely, we thought we would talk about the importance of internal communication. Having effective communication channels, especially as people can't have face-to-face meetings, will help all teams to ensure that they are um, working collaboratively towards set goals. But also as well, it can help with developing a cohesive culture and also empower employees to make decisions in the interest of the business, which of course is completely imperative at the moment in this volatile landscape. Um, Lots of organisations are currently working from home, Um, at least for the next few weeks, could be longer depending upon um, government measures or announcements, Um, which is why it's particularly crucial to keep internal communication a priority to ensure that business can continue to tick over. So I think actually you've got some examples of where businesses have managed to not maybe do so well regards their communication amid the uh, coronavirus outbreak, Dan. Yes. So um, there's lots of good examples of communication and also, unfortunately, some bad examples. And I guess they split primarily into external and internal comms, which I'll talk about um, or therefore I'll share some examples that I've found over the past week or so. Um, I guess first and foremost, though, the government itself has even been criticised for its external comms, which has been said to be sharing conflicting messaging and phrasing um, that actually allows some of the things it's saying are legal requirements and mandates uh, to be interpreted in different ways. Um, And eventually, I think this actually led to the overhaul of the communication strategy at the end of last week, leading to daily briefings um, and an eventual addressing of the nation on 8.30 on Monday evening. Um, However, we're not so interested in what the government is saying right now, although it affects us all deeply. It's what our company's doing that showcases either good or bad communications that affects their employees. Um, and it could be regards some bigger existential news, such as redundancies, closing of business as usual, health and safety. 
um, and some of the more granular things such as how am I going to get access to wages and what is business as usual and is my work essential. There's lots of things that uh, companies have got to communicate on at the moment. However, one firm who probably hasn't got it right are Sports Direct, who on the night of the government, uh, the official government lockdown, where people were told to stay at home unless their work was essential, Sports Direct were very vocal on social media in essentially sharing that they would still be open because they considered themselves essential. They actually did a U-turn overnight, so they never actually opened, but there was a lot of backlash and I imagine a lot of very anxious employees about whether or not they should come into work because Sports Direct asked ask of them to come into work and their promise that they would open seemed to be in direct contravention of what the government was saying, which was everybody stay at home. Um, in fact, it caused so much foray that Ian Lavery, who is chair of the Labour Party, tweeted directly to Mike Ashley and Sports Direct telling them to take responsibility for their actions, adding that he, Mike Ashley, the CEO and owner of Sports Direct, is now prepared to endanger the life of employees. Um, However, it's not just Sports Direct who appear to be having a comms nightmare. Many local papers have been reporting on the fact that employers are telling people to come in in direct, again, direct contravention of government rules. The Express and Star, who cover the West Midlands and Black Country region, reported on employees who worked at printers who were told to come in despite not making any essential products. Um, And I think that's one of the key points, is that they were communicating people to come in, even though workers, uh, the government was saying only workers who make essential products should come in. Um, There were also reports that um, a Marks and Spencer store in one of the country's biggest indoor shopping malls was still telling workers to come in to work in its women wear section. even though that probably isn't considered essential work at the moment. Um, I had somebody get in touch with me. He is a worker in a factory with a young child, and he also describes making what he says are non-essential products. He said that his boss had said um, to him after the government mandated the lockdown, he said, if you don't want to come to work, you can fuck off, but you won't get paid. Um, which, no. Yeah, which is clear comms in one sense. But again, it tangled the government's message. Um, and his response to that was that um, actually there's a damage here because that communication is so poor and damaging that there are a lot of companies such as uh, as his own that he feels are damaging their brand and won't come out the other side with any business at all because of how they've treated their staff. There's also been criticism of the way in which Cineworld laid off staff, um, which HR Grapevine reported on earlier in the week, with some staff complaining that they found out on Twitter rather than through official avenues, such as management or internal comms, um, another bad example of comms. And um, perhaps even bigger than the Sports Direct story is the Weatherspoon story, which caused uh, national headlines everywhere, in which Tim Martin, seemingly in his home home, or at least a non-official Weatherspoon's residence, uh, with a mug in his hand, basically told his staff to go and take a job at Tesco, rather than saying anything about yeah, how he might, yeah, might protect their wages or whatever. Um, even if that was the case that he was going to make Tens, essentially tens of thousands redundant, at least temporarily. Um, it appears there could have been a better way that that might have been communicated in which he doesn't come across as someone that just really doesn't care for his staff. Um, 
but we'll talk about the impact on HR and company values later. Um, there are others. Um, this is less official avenues. People are basically taking to social media to complain about the way that their companies are diluting the government messaging or just seem to be out of step with official advice. Um, so even though the government are saying, if you don't have to come into the office, don't work remotely. Um, one took to Twitter to complain that HR just sent us an email stating how corporate employees can come into work dressed in comfy clothes starting from this week. I'm so confused as to how this is supposed to make things better. It's not like I give a expletive about what finance is wearing any other day. Um, again, I, I would potentially agree with them there. I have no ideas how wearing comfier clothes might stop coronavirus, unless, of course, those comfier clothes are worn in your locked down home. Um, and yet more still have said, um, and I think this is because of poor communication, that there's been a lot of criticism of people still crowding on tube platforms in London um, during the lockdown. And I think this is because, and there's, there's some better understanding of this now, that um, companies are still trying to communicate to some staff that they consider that they have to be in work um, and that they are essential. And it's this, again, confusing of the government messages, uh, poor communication about who is essential and who is not, that's leading to people having to take essentially risky manoeuvres because they're you know, worried about losing their job or being told that um, they're not doing as they should be by their company. So yeah, basically, there's a lot of examples of poor communication or communication that isn't quite in step with what the government is saying at the moment. Yeah, and I think actually, if you know, if we bring this point onto what this means for HR, probably quite a lot actually. Um, so the first thing that springs to mind really is a breakdown of company culture. Um, particularly when organisations and workforces are working remotely, um, there should be a lot of, you know, ramped up efforts to make sure that everyone is, you know, communicating properly to try and keep that morale up, keep the productivity up, and just to make sure that staff are, in, are as happy and healthy as possible um, during this, you know, turbulent period. Another thing that springs to mind quite strongly is um, employer branding, um, which is what Dan touched upon slightly earlier on in the podcast. Um, Essentially, a lot of a lot of the examples that he gave are likely to see heightened ramifications on the back of the um, the different moves or alleged moves um, that these companies have taken. So, um, when I was speaking to Joe Creswell, who is the commu a community expert at Glassdoor, she said that particularly um, within this volatile period, a lot of employees won't be afraid to vocalise how bosses are handling the crisis. Um, so when Dan was mentioning earlier about the example of Cineworld and also uh, Weatherspoons this morning, lots of you know frustrated and angry employees are taking to social media to vent their frustrations, which obviously is doing no favour for either the the external branding, but neither is it doing any good for the internal you know workers as workforce as well, because then then they will think, well, what's this going to mean to me? So I think there was a big thing there surrounding employer branding, not only for the people that currently work at the company, but also for those that may be looking to take on a position at the company in the future. So when I was having a look at some of the stats earlier on, some research from Talent Now found that 84% of job seekers say that the reputation of a company as an employer is so important when they're making a job switching decision. Um, and additionally, 50% of job candidates say that they wouldn't work for a company that has a poor reputation, even if there was a prospect of a pay rise. All of these bad headlines will contribute to a poor 
employer branding, which will have huge knock-on effects, not just for internal workforces, not for people um, wanting to join the company, but even for things like client relationships. Organisations um, don't want to work with other organisations that don't have the right business practices and ethics in place. Um, and I think I think the last thing, just to touch upon really, is values. Every every employee wants to work for a company that has the right moral and ethical employer values and these companies maybe aren't showcasing those at the moment and although it's a little bit of a turbulent time and like one one expert said there isn't a playbook for handling this and and while that's correct um, employers really need to be careful with how they're handling situations at the moment because this as Glassdoor explained this can you know be the beginning of quite a negative process for them. So yeah I agree so um, completely so I guess it asks there what is HR's role in all of this to ensure that external comms don't end up with the employer brand going sour or bad internal comms don't, in a roundabout way, lead to the employer brand going sour. So in many ways, HR has to temper and any bad instincts or bad messaging from the executive or the business leadership. Um, so, for example, if we were to use the Weatherspoons, Tim Martin fiasco, HR there, or HR slash marketing, if it's a, if it's a dual function, should be going. It might not be best to tell forty thousand people they're sacked with a mug in your hand in what appears to be your kitchen on a nondescript Tuesday night. No one's coming looking good out of this. So, what does best practice look like? Luckily, I got to speak to Catherine Allen, who has the fancy title of head of keeping people happy at Ella's Kitchen, essentially chief people officer. Um, I got to speak to her about this subject recently, and she says, of course, HR and the business are going to have to make difficult decisions regards closures, regards redundancies during this time. Um, but the best way to make these decisions is to ensure that there's a communication strategy at all times and that you sh if you haven't had one that preemptively worked for this scenario, you're making one now and that it keeps clear communication company values and transparency at the heart of everything. She basically said the communication piece is so important because people need to understand why you've made decisions. Essentially, if you're telling people to come into work still and the government is saying no, there better be a bloody good reason for that, essentially. Catherine also says that it is um, HR who has to take the lead when making difficult people decisions. So that might put them at loggerheads with the business or the executive, but in these cases, HR should stand their ground at speaking business terms to help the business understand what the impact of the employer brand might be and what it might mean for business as usual when this blows over. So what does good communication look like? To find out, uh, we spoke to some communication experts, didn't we, Soph? Um, yeah, we did. And we both came up with some good advice. So I've got a couple of examples that I think our HR listeners would uh, basically learn a lot from if they're not already doing these things. So if I can share my couple and then hand over to you um, yeah. for some of the expertise that you've got. So I spoke to a PR and comms expert, Antonia Taylor, and she had the following advice for internal comms, which is really, really important. So when you're communicating to your existing workforce or maybe a workforce that you've just unfortunately had to let go because you're temporarily or have permanently closed the business and they need to know next steps 
um, she said, one of the first things you should do is over communicate and practice radical candor, which basically is a human focused communication approach um, that says that as a business, you won't have all the answers as HR, you won't have all the answers, but you'll try and work things through for the best of everybody. You should try and deepen relationships that you already have. And one of the ways to do this is to communicate regularly and well and think about, and this is a really crucial bit that HR should should own, how any behavior from the business impacts the brand. Therefore, put your people front and center. And you want any communication to leave the audience, in this case, the audience being your employee base, to be in a better position, whether that's they have more information, feel like they have um, a better view of the business, or just feel a bit more reassured. I also spoke to CV Library, and what they're saying is that transparency is definitely key for maintaining trust and providing reassurance with your employee base, um, especially, and I think you might touch on this, when people are increasingly working remotely and there's not that centralized office culture. Um, and some of the practical tips around this are encouraging managers to host video calls so they can uh, check in with their teams, etc. What I personally would add, though, is if you are taking communications advice from the internet, um, as in any massive change, whether it's a general election or a pandemic or whatever, suddenly it appears that everyone on the internet is a coronavirus expert, a remote working expert or a communication expert. So look on where the provenance of your advice is coming from. If they're a HR communications expert offering advice, listen to them. If it's Bill from sales who's written a lengthy LinkedIn post on a Friday afternoon, probably not so good. Um, anyway, so I think you've got some points, haven't you? I think actually from you just saying that, it's jogged my memory slightly. Um, I think another thing to add is that when, you know, choosing which kind of channels or methods of communication are best for the business, it really is about the business model, what the business does, and also what kind of communication would go on in a usual office environment. So just because one person said on Twitter that they use Skype calls, um, or they use Zoom calls, or they use Slack, doesn't mean that that will be the most preferable method for everyone. So I think it is really, really about having that conversation with employees and seeing how comfortable they are using these different things. Because for a lot of people, remote working might be a completely new um, an almost daunting experience for them. But anyway, just into the tips that I received for examples of good communication channels that companies have currently got going on with colleagues. So um, I spoke to a PR company called Datadale, um, and they said that they host virtual Zoom lunches each week, and they use this as an opportunity to talk about non-work-related things. Um, they also said that they have a group chat on Teams, which I've been told is strictly for circulating the best banter, whether that comes in the form of memes or YouTube videos. So I think that's definitely something that, as a team, we might benefit from, Dan. And also, some other people on Twitter have cited that they use Skype all day and they have that on in the background just so that they feel like they're hanging out with their colleagues. It gives the impression that, you know, they can they can almost like turn to a neighbor and have a quick discussion. But I suppose it, it won't be any more of an added distraction because you are used to having those kind of office ad hoc conversations throughout the working day in a usual office environment. The only other tip I would add to that, if you do want to have something like Skype on in the background all day, um, it might not maybe work as well if you are living in a house with young children or potentially in a house where you've got a, a partner who's also working 
So um, it obviously just, you know, you need to take into consideration your surroundings and whether or not other people have working commitments, that sort of thing. Um, but I think really just one of the key takeaways here is that no organisation should underestimate the power of, you know, having these positive non-work related chats. Um, that's a lot of, you know, like a lot of the tips we've seen in there, you know, the Zoom lunches, which are talking about non-work related things, um, having the, the chats full of banter. I think that's really good. Um, and even, you know, Dan likes to share HR jokes with us throughout the day. Even things like that can just really, really help to break the ice and just make it feel like you're within that social circle, even if it is virtual. So there are lots of different examples of things that organisations are doing to embrace working from home um, and to, you know, promote good communication and colleague well-being. So I think it's just good really for people to get involved with sharing the knowledge that they've got, maybe sharing tips of things that have worked and haven't worked. That's a thing we're increasingly seeing in the HR space, particularly on professional networking sites such as LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, unfortunately that's all we've got time for today. HR Grapevine wouldn't exist without your continued readership and engagement with our content, whether that's through our daily newsletters, monthly magazines, webinars, live events, or market leading research papers. So to find out more or to sign up to our daily content newsletter, which also showcases solutions and best practice answers to all of your HR issues, please visit www.hrgrapevine.com.